the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, September 30th. Talk about September ending with a bang. It has been a fantastic last 48 hours in the tennis world. Of course, I apologize for the lack of an episode yesterday. Don't worry, we'll make up for it with podcasts both today and tomorrow. What I want to do for all of you listeners on this show is, again, break down everything that's happened of late in the tennis world. I want to set up tomorrow's Tokyo final. It will be Veronica Kudermatova, who of course has earned dramatic three-set victories over Iga Sviantek and Anastasia Pavlachenkova to reach this final. She will take on Jessica Pagula, who despite being ranked number four in the world right now, I actually think has tilted into the underrated category. That's right. That's how well I think Pagula has played on hard courts of late. I'll make the case for why I think she has actually become slightly underrated here on today's show talk about how she finds how she finds herself excuse me in this Tokyo final, of course, we already have a WTA player in the winner's circle. Anjabur, exceptional over the course of the weekend. Three sets over Podoroska, straight sets over Diana Schneider to capture the title in Ningbo. We'll recap her run to the winner's circle, and then we'll get into our very, very fun events happening on the ATP side of things. We've seen upsets in Beijing. Nicolas Yari knocking out Stefano Tsitsipas. We've seen top seeds get pushed. Carlos Alcaraz. Yannick Sinner, Holger Runa, and others. We've got a lot to talk about as it relates to that 1,000-level action happening in China. And even our undercard event on the ATP side of things in Astana is fun. You look at the quarterfinal matchups there. You've got players like Yuri Lahechka, players like Sebastian Korda, like Town and Greek Sport. You've also got some young up-and-comers as well. Hamad Medvedevich, a fantastic run in Astana. Some, dare I say, weird quarterfinalists such as Yuri Rodionov. Haven't heard from the lefty in a little bit, but good to see him playing some good tennis this week. Again, it's been a funky 48 hours in the tennis world. What I want to do on today's show for all of you listeners is recap everything that's gone down. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. We are greatly appreciative you turn to us for all of your tennis facts. And if you're looking for additional information, I point all of you to the Great Shot podcast feed and, of course, the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Over on the GSP, we break down all the college results every week. Damian Coos takes a closer look at the chat. Challenger Tour, and then we have some fun with other things as well. So again, if you like getting funky, the GSP is the place for you. Of course, over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, we try to talk to the players, the coaches, all the actors who participate week in, week out, make the tennis world such a joy for all of us to follow. This past week, we had two fascinating conversations. One, of course, with 2023 U.S. Open men's doubles champion Rajiv Ram, the other with Dr. Leland Snyder, a physiotherapist for multiple ATP Tour players currently out there competing. I think they were both fascinating interviews that I'm certain all of you mini break listeners will enjoy. So again, check out the GSP, check out the Great Shot podcast which is the GSP. Check out the Cracked Interviews podcast as well. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. We always appreciate that fact. And again, we appreciate all of you tuning in day in, day out. We also appreciate the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, 
Let's talk about a busy 48 hours in the tennis world. Let's start on the women's side of things. We can go a little bit more quickly through these two events just because, again, we've reached the finals in Tokyo. We're done with the action in Ningbo. It's a staggered start to our men's and women's events this week. Makes it a little funky for all of us. Again, makes these weekend podcasts that much more worthwhile, in my opinion. That said, certainly the biggest storyline coming out of Tokyo, Veronica Kudermatova, who was winless against Iga Svantec, heading into their quarterfinal bout, I believe 0-5 overall, if not 0-4. I know for a fact she hadn't won a set against the former world number one. Not only does she win a blistering 6-2 first set, she goes on to take a 6-2-2-6-6-4 decision over the top seed this week in Tokyo. There's two ways of looking at it. Glass half full for a Veronica Kudermatova who really struggled during the North American hardcore stretch, doesn't play Canada, you know, knocked out first round by Venus, of all people, in Cincy. Knocked out second round by Cerebez Tormo in Cleveland. Knocked out first round by Para at the U.S. Open. First round in San Diego by Sonia Kennan. Obviously, that match aged well, but considering she was the sixth seed there, a disappointing first match exit. A 2-1 and one loss to Azarenka in Guadalajara. Again, it was a tough North American hardcore stretch. She goes 2-5 and five overall in her five events that she plays to steady the ship here in Tokyo to reach what is you look overall now in this 2023 season, her fifth, sixth, excuse me, semifinal overall. It's her eighth quarterfinal, uh, excuse me, her ninth quarterfinal of the year. She's now into her second final of the season. All of this, by the way, coming in the back half of the year, her other final coming in Den Bosch during the grass court season. It's exactly the push Kudermatova needed to stay alive in the top 20 of the rankings. You look for Veronica Kudermatova with her run to the final this week. She's up two spots to number 17. She's up a spot to 16 in the points race, which is perhaps a better preview of where she's projected to end the year race, uh, year rankings as of right now. Again, a massive week for Veronica Kudermatova. I thought she played fantastic defense. In her match against Sviantec, she managed to match Sviantec's physicality in what was a three-set, two-hour, 21-minute match. She managed to hold pace on serve, facing just four break points, getting broken just twice. She won 70% of her first serve points. Again, it's a once-in-a-generational returning talent. It's a fantastic win for Kudermatova. Again, a win she very much needed, not only into uh, her first semifinal since Den Bosch, her first quarterfinal, since Berlin, you look at her success or perhaps lack thereof against top 10 players over the course of the past few years. Actually, this year, she went five and three against the top 10, four and five last year, two and six the year before that, five and three against top 10 players. She's beaten Sabalenka, Iga, Pagula, Goff, and beat Kasakina back when she was top 10 on clay in Madrid, which is a very impressive win. Am I flipping and saying Veronica Kudermatova, who obviously was a top 10 player last season, let's try that again and get her name out properly. Veronica Kudermatova, who was a top 10 player last season, is she having a better year this year? Break percentage is up, 32.7%. Hold percentage is down, 70.2%, but she's still in that top 25 mix for servers amongst the top 50 on the WTA Tour. No, she hasn't been nearly as consistent as she was last season, but five. 
an, a winning record against top 10 opponents. Obviously, again, you get a big win over Iga here. She follows that up with a three-set victory over Pavlochenkova, which was particularly impressive given the fact she faced 11 break points. She fought off nine of them. She really gave away the second set. It felt like Kudermatova was going to pull away. She had opportunities to get the break of Pavlochenkova to try to serve things out, was never able to do it. And then she came back in the third set again. How well Kudermatova moves isn't discussed enough in the 26-year-old's player profile because she does have the big weapons. When she's at her best, she's hitting the big first serve, coming on top of the big first forehand, taking backhands down the line early, looking to move forward, hit swinging volleys, hit volleys out of the air again. She was in the tour finals in doubles last year. We know she has that skill set. I'm sneaky impressed by that 5-3 and three record against top 10 opponents. Has another bout with Pagula, who she beat in Madrid for what it's worth, 6-4 in the third in the quarterfinals this year. Glass half full, fantastic, needed moment for Veronica Kudermatova, who I think despite being in this top 15 conversation for 19 months consecutively now— She's the one you always write off. She's the one you always cross off. It feels like she has never broken into that Sakari Jabur back when she was playing Conteve, you know, surface uh, uh, tier of 7 to 10 in the rankings. Obviously, none of those players have flirted with the Iga Sabalenka tier of player, Rabakana tier of player, but... Despite putting forward similar results, despite the millions of quarterfinals she's made the last two years, again, it just feels like Veronica Kudermatova is a bit disrespected in terms of her singles accomplishments, the pedigree she's produced, or then the consistency over 19 months. Again, nine quarterfinals on the year for Veronica Kudermatova. I don't care what level they happen, considering they all happened in tour events. It's another top 25 season for Kudermatova in the prime of her career, still positioned to do whatever it is she'd like to do in the 2024 calendar. That's glass half full. (sighs) Glass half empty. Ego was bad. She just was. She was bad. I think she'd be the first to say it. The forehand has been a problem for her. You know, it was a problem against Ostapenko. It was a problem against Kudermatova. I thought it was a problem against Pegula as well in Montreal. It was just spraying on her, especially the forehand return in set number one. And look, Kudermatova hits a big first serve. She can put some pressure on a hard court, a faster court, the western grip of Sviantek, how big that backswing can be. And yet then you watch the second set and Sviantek starts to elevate that forehand a little bit more, give herself a little bit more margin to just land that ball with depth inside the baseline. And then she's stepping into backhand. She's redirecting balls. She has Kudermatova on a string. You know, second set looked like Iga, vintage Iga. Third set, that went away again. Third set, again, she starts spraying a little bit more on the forehand. It, it just feels like she's in such a rush right now in all the matches that she's playing. And look, Ostapenko took the racket out of her hand at the U.S. Open to some extent. But, I mean, again, first of all, she's 22 years old. She's two in the world. She's fine. She's completely fine. In trying to develop these weapons to make life easier for herself, I do wonder if Ika has compromised that underlying physicality that, of course, is why she's a, one, uh, a generational talent. I don't want to say once in a generation because there are a lot of talents out there right now, but a generational talent. No doubt about that. And by the way, again, she's coming out of the year at worst number two in the world. She won another major this season. She leads the tour in victories right now. Iga's you know, tied for the lead in most quarterfinal appearances. Iga's doing just fine. We'll see her in Beijing next week. 
I think they're in Beijing next week on the women's side. Anyways, uh, they are. I'm right. Anyways, the forehand was just bad. It was just bad. And again, it felt like she was rushing. It felt like she was determined to hit through Kudermatova instead of grinding Kudermatova down, you know, trying to play through the backhand of Kudermatova. It just, again, it felt like Iga was always in a rush. It's as simple as that. And so, look, even when she's in a rush, she still loses in three sets. And by the way, these four losses for her in this hardcore stretch, 6-4 in the third to Pagula, 6-4 in the third to Goth, 6-1 in the third to Ostapenko, 6-4 in the third to Kudermatova. No one would accuse Iga of playing her best tennis in any of those matches. Now, last season, she probably wins two of those four. This year, she wasn't able to do so. I'm not concerned. I just do think, you know, again, like a bad political campaign when they say candidate X needs to go back to being let candidate X be candidate X. Let Iga be Iga. Like, just let her go out there and grind you down and just impose her will backhand corner into backhand corner. And I know she pushes you into the corner and the heaviness of her ball and going cross court to the open space. That's that one-two pattern is why she's been so successful over these past few seasons throughout, or really throughout her career. But again, no need to rush, Iga. Grind them down. We want to watch you play. And again, a, a weird loss for her in three sets against an opponent whose number just felt like she had had prior to that. That's certainly the biggest storyline coming through Tokyo. I said I was going to go through these two quicker. Obviously, that was a lie. Um, not an unexpected lie from you longtime listeners. Kudermatova through to the final. Again, very impressive pathway. Good semifinal for Pavlochenkova, by the way, who now finds herself back up to 62 in the rankings, up 24 spots as of this week. And again, she's done it in fewer than 35 matches. Top 100 player. Ain't too shabby uh, for Pavlochenkova. For Jessica Pagula, and we'll do this part quickly, she's now 49-15. and 15 overall in the year. It's her third final, but she's made 10 different quarterfinals. She's made eight different semifinals. You know, again, third different final for her now overall on the season. I'm excluding United Cup. I fully expect her to win this match after she's dusted Casakina 1-0 in a match where like, it just felt like Casakina could not win a point on serve. You know, in this match against Maria Sakari, it's the other way around where Pagula dominating behind her own serve, holding serve, um, or fighting off eight of nine break points that she faced despite making just 47% of her first serves. She just had a counter for everything Sakari wanted to do. And that counter was just, I'm playing pace down the middle. I'm forcing you to be extraordinary today. I'm not giving you easy lines of attack. I'm not opening up the court for you to get outside a forehand and dominate with your plus one. And by the way, the depth of Jessica Pagula's return of serve, that ability to neutralize that Sakari serve and force her to hit that first forehand from behind the baseline or even just straight up get the ball to the backhand off that first ball. There's nothing on a tennis court Jessica Pagula can't do. She needs to play slice to keep a ball low on you. When she stretched, she'll play slice and she'll drive that slice through the court as well. Won't float on her. She needs to play defensively with the lob. She can do that. She needs to move forward, whether it's the swinging volley, whether it's out of the air, whether it's the overhead. Jessica Pakula's game is remarkably complete. Remarkably complete. Is she the most complete player on the WTA Tour right now? Not the best player. The most complete player. I think it's a legitimate conversation to have. Now, obviously, obviously, Iga's right there. 
I think you have to respect what Coco Goff's been able to do moving forward this season, how that's elevated her game. She has to be in that discussion. Sabalenka doesn't play defense. You don't think of her defensively, but she moves so well for her size. I mean, now we're just talking best players in the world, most complete players. Not a shock, by the way, given how complete you have to be in today's game. But I just continue to be so amazed by the drive, the depth, the power she's able to produce on top of all the angles Pagula can hit. Again, we there, what is there to talk about her tennis? She was never in doubt, really, against Maria Sakari. I guess it got a little dicey there, middle of the third set, uh, second set, but never in doubt. She won and owed Kasakina. I mean, one and oh in fifty nine minutes. That's a top twenty player in the world. She did that too. JPEG is a superstar. And by the way, she's now, according to the live rankings, qualified for the WTA final, 60 points over the threshold. Not that that was ever in doubt, but five of our spots now locked in. And assuming that they all play, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Goff, Rabakina, Pagula is an amazing field, considering we're likely to get Von Drusova, likely to get Mukova in the mix, a slam title winner, slam finalist. If Jabur is that eighth player, and right now she's got a 365, uh, excuse me, 465 point lead on Sakari. Beijing still ahead, but a 465 point lead on Sakari. Come on now. Like, that's a really good feel. A three time slam finalist in Jabur, a slam finalist in Muhova, slam champions in Vandrusova, Rabakina, Goff, Sviantek, Sabalenka, and then arguably the most complete player in all of tennis right now, in Jessica Pagula. Sign me up for that tour finals field. I'm in. JPEG through the finals. Now, for what it's worth, Kuna Matova 1-0 in the career head-to-head again. Three sets, Madrid, earlier this season. Hard courts aren't clay courts. And you look for Jessica Pagula, again, loses to Bozkova in Cincinnati. Who cares? She won Montreal the week before. Madison Keys played lights out in that U.S. Open round of 16 match. Those are her only two. And, and then... Uh, Maria Sakari beat her in the semifinals in DC in three. She just dusted Sakari in the previous semifinals. She's what now? Uh, let's see. Six plus two is eight. Plus three is 11. Plus three is 14. She's 14 and three since the end of Wimbledon. By the way, she made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon as well. Come on now. Seven a remarkable season. Again, a level I never thought the 29-year-old would hit. She belongs at the top of the rankings. She belongs at the tour finals another season. Kudermatova versus Pagula the final. Pagula is 75.9% favorite given the two three-set matches Kudermatova has faced, given Pagula's ability to just take away that plus-one forehand from Kudermatova. I expect Jessica Pagula to walk away with the title tomorrow in Tokyo and join on Jabur in the winner's circle. I just mentioned Jabur, now a 400-plus point lead for that final spot in the tour finals as she captures the title in Ningbo. It was a much-needed title run for Anjabur, who you look now overall in the season, the top-line number, 33-14, and 14, 70% win percentage. Sticks in line with what she's done the last three seasons and, you know, again, very well likely secures her spot in the tour finals moving forward. You look for her third final on the year, obviously wins titles now here and in Charleston, finals of Wimbledon. She's now made a total of uh, five different semifinals overall on the year, seven different quarterfinals as well. She didn't face a single seeded player. She didn't face a single top 50 player. She gets through the draw. And again, 
That's just kind of what she needed after limping through that U.S. Open to the fourth round. Again, extraordinarily impressive that she got there given the level she was playing, but she was never playing great. Then loses first round to Potapova, San Diego, second round to Trevisan in three sets in Guadalajara. This was the steadying of the ship. And keep in mind, Anjabur at the end of last season, you know, played a lot of tennis. She had her home event in Tunisia. She obviously had the tour finals as well. There is still a chunk of points for her to have to defend to defend her top 10 spot down the home stretch of this year. But, you know, again, to watch her just, I don't want to say toy with Diana Schneider, but to watch her just be so thoroughly prepared for everything the big hitting 19-year-old Russian threw at her. The drop shots were everywhere. Again, it just felt like she was the one always rushing Schneider. It felt like we were always playing on Jabur's terms. It took so much effort for Diana Schneider to win a single point. Now, the Podoroska semifinal match, Jabur tanked set number two. Like You could just tell once she went down to break. She's like, yep, you're going to take this set, and then I'm going to come beat you in the third. And her discipline in bouncing back in the third and turning on the switch again, that, uh, flipping the switch, that's what the best players are able to do. Again, was it her best tennis in any match this week? No. I do think she played her best tennis in the final against Schneider, where it just felt like finally all of the slices were landing accordingly. And again, those slices and her ability to change direction on Schneider, I think that's where the fluidity for Schneider as a mover, she's still working on it. So it was a brilliant game plan by Jabur. Didn't face a single top 50 player. Dropped two sets on her way to the title. It's a week wealth secured for Ange Jabur. And obviously the biggest winners of the week we've talked about already, Diana Schneider, first tour-level final. Again, one of five teenagers in the top 100 with this result. She's up to number 63, a new career high in the live rankings. And keep in mind, yes, she made Australian Open second round last year, but from February to May, she was playing college tennis, so very few points to defend. And they'll all be on clay. Her best surface—they're not all going to be on clay, but a lot of them will be on clay. And she's going to get into tour-level events on clay, and that's her best surface. And she doesn't have points to defend. So there's absolutely a quick runway for Schneider as a 19-year-old to work her way into the top 100 again. She beat Fruvertova in the semifinals. We talked about that match already, four and one. I think we talked about that match already. I certainly watched that. Nope, we didn't talk about that match already because I watched it today. Um. Well, I watched, the, I watched the highlights again today. Look, Dai Schneider had the bigger... Everything Jabur did to Schneider, Schneider did to Fruvertova. And it was a very competitive first set. Fruvertova goes up two love. Schneider gets the break right back. They're going back and forth before 5-4 Schneider breaks and then rips off five, uh, five straight games to start the second set. I mean, her weapons are just real. Her ability to play slice is real. Her ability to get outside the ball on both wings is real. Now, again, the serve is still a work in progress. She's holding just 67.4% of the time in her tour-level matches. Got broken five times by Jabur in what? Eight plus seven is 15, so seven or eight service games. She got broken five times. That's more than half no matter what. Still, first five, 19 years old, you have to work on your serve. You can say that about every 19-year-old who's ever played tennis ever, even Pete Sampras, even Serena Williams. Again, like what a fantastic week for Schneider to beat a Kvitova, to grind down a Fruvertova, beat Rakimovas and buys, and, you know, again, defend her ranking as the draw opened up for her, capitalize, make her first final, 
into the top 70 of the world for the first time is Diana Schneider, new career high. And then again, for players like Podoroska, who was still working her way back from injury, she's back up to 76 in the live rankings, 26-year-old, perfectly positioned for a build back 2024. Again, Fruvertova from outside the top 100, 117. She's back up to number 98 in the live rankings. Kind of crazy, by the way, that Schneider didn't get a special exemption into Beijing next week. At least I don't believe she did, which how that happens, that's a miscue by the WTA. But again, credit to Schneider, first final for Fruvertova. Again, had lost 14 of 16 coming into the event. Despite that, now back into the top 100 for Podoroska. You look, uh, again, she has had a build back year back into the top 100 of the WTA. Now, uh, I believe 33 and 26 overall on the season. She's made six different semifinals, two at the 125K level, two now at the tour level in building her way back. Not too shabby for the former French Open semifinalist. That said, that's all your tour level action on the women's side. Now, we'll lead tomorrow's show with our men's action, or probably actually we'll quickly wrap up the Tokyo final, then get to our men's action. So, That will be the focus tomorrow, but to update all of you on where things stand heading into the weekend, let's start with Beijing. I'm just going to go rapid fire through my assortment of takes of the round of 32. Ready? Here we go. Ready or not, here we go. Alcaraz over Hanfman, four and three. Yannick's good, man. And again, qualifies for a Masters. His kick serve, his willingness to be aggressive and not just let Alcaraz kill him the way Alcaraz can just assassinate so many people with his serve, with his kick serve, with his physicality. Hoffman makes things interesting. Hoffman kind of has the size strength to capitalize on some elevated balls Alcaraz leaves, and yet when Carlos wants to end a point, he can end a point. And that was the difference in this match. Fantastic physical tennis. Alcaraz looked like Alcaraz 4-3. and three. For Medvedev, who got a 6-3 and three win over Demon Hour, 2-1 and one over Tommy Paul in round number one. Again, those are two of the six winningest players on hard courts. Doesn't drop a set and drops 12 total games in four sets to the two. He's locked in. He's serving well. Demon Hour almost had another highway robbery. Was down 5-2 in that opening set. Gets a couple of breaks of Medvedev to force a breaker. Ultimately, Medvedev able to crank up the first serve pull through. He's just so locked physically right now. And again, when he's making the backhand cross, when he's just, when you, when you slowly, you know, he, he lulls you to sleep and now he turns into forehands when you're least expecting it. He can win free points with the first serve. He's Medvedeving it up to beat Tommy, Demon Hour. Yes, the first serve got, uh, first set got a little dice against Demon, but Medvedev looks the part of top three player in the world. And why I say that is, again, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev, more are in their own conversation, particularly on hard courts, then there is a drop before you get to anyone else. And Medvedev keeps reminding us of that with every hard court match that he plays. How about Holger Runa? Four and four over Felix. Felix played well. It was a continuation of what I saw in Laver Cup. I actually think we're going to get a little bit of a Felix boost down the home stretch here. I do think he's going to be able to defend some of his points, even if it starts off rough for him in Beijing with this first round exit. Drew a top 10 player in his opening match. And Holger looked fit. He looked healthy. Felix played one bad game. One bad game. Opening of the match, Runa goes up a quick either 2-1 or 3-1 break. Felix missed a couple of bad forehands. Holger hit a good return as well. But it was a sloppy game from Felix. That was the only sloppy game. Felix was extending points, hitting through his backhand well, crushing the forehand whenever it sat up. And yet again, Holger just has that springiness, that jack-of-all-trays ability to do 
everything pretty well. He mixed in the drop shot accordingly. He closes behind those drop shots. He's become so much better as a volleyer. Holger snaps his post-Wimbledon losing streak. Looked very good in a 4-4 victory over Felix. Yari 4-4 over Tsitsipas. It's a terrible matchup for Stefanos, but this is another concerning loss for Tsitsipas, certainly uh, given what we have seen from him really since, what, the end of Wimbledon? Just, you know, again... Uh, it was it was a bad loss. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Like, the return of serve was just not there for him. Obviously, Yari, who has had a career season, and with this run to now, what, the quarterfinals, I want to say, is where he's at in Beijing right now. Yeah, he's up to a new career high 22 in the live rankings. He's killing it. Absolutely killing it. It's a bad loss for Tsitsipas, who didn't uh, generated two break points, failed on both attempts, again, loss and won just 42% of his second serve points, let alone the first serve, where he won just 17% of his first serve return points. He just could not start the rally. Everything was on Yari's terms. And when Yari's returning, uh, serving that well, obviously everything opens up for him as a returner as well. So again, credit uh, to Nicolas Yari. He advances with the big upset over Tsitsipas. That was really your only seated upset, I believe, in the round of 32. Rublev survives three sets, but Cam Nori is starting to play a little bit better tennis. Rublev, a very nice backhand pass down the line to help secure the third set break. Sinner, Evans... Yes, I saw Evans mock a cramping Yannick Sinner in the third set. It's classless. It's gamesmanship. I don't know what else to say. It's, I mean, again, Dan Evans going to Dan Evans. Sinner 6-3 in the third. It does, again, feels like he's just not where he needs to be physically yet to be in that Djokovic-Alcaraz-Medvedev discussion. But when he gets there look out rest of the tennis world. And I know that's not a hot take. He was fine in his opening three-set match. Good three-set win for Jan Leonard Struff, six and three. Uh, excuse me, for Rude, six and three over Jan Leonard Struff. Rude had to have it. He gets it. I thought he hit his backhand particularly well. Looked to be returning a little bit further inside the baseline than he did before on second serve. So maybe that's a little tactical adjustment. Zverev extends his winning streak again. Title winner last week. Three sets come from behind over Diego Schwartzman. A reminder, Schwartzman now outside the top 100. Your other fun matches, other first round battles. Arnaldi. Good win for the qualifier, 2-2 two two over J.J. Wolf. Davidovich Fokina cruised. Already mentioned the Demon Hour match. Grigor, three sets over Mackie McDonald. Echeverry over Lloyd Harris, I think we talked about already. Umber as well. How about Lorenzo Musetti? Knocking off last week's champion, Karen Hachanov, 6-2 in the third. Now, again, a little bit of a schedule loss for Hachanov, who I'm actually sure is more excited to have gotten his title. Monkey off his back again, wins his first title last week since Paris 2018. No one's thrilled to lose first round. Musetti's a tough draw, a tough physical three-set match. Still, if you ask Kachanov, you lose this match to Musetti, but you get to keep, or you win this match against Musetti, or you have to give up your title from last week, you'd be like, nah, I'm good. Um, so again, I guess a well-deserved week off for Hatchinov before this home stretch begins. Nishioka, three sets over Jerry Shang. Shang's gonna make a move. I mean, the lefty just hits too big of a ball. But Nishioka made that match too physical. He never let Shang hit from the strike zone, particularly in set number three. Again, that sets up a very fun round of 16, where we already have had a few results. Yari, 6-3 in the third over Arnaldi. Umber continuing his return season or his build back season, as we've called it. Shout out Joe Biden, build back better. That's what Ugo Umber has done. 7-6 in the third over Andre Rublev today. Umber just goes down swinging. 
And obviously, we saw that high variance, and it's a high variance game. It's not really, it's in, or it's not, you know, again, we saw that power game betray him early in 2022, but he has built his way all the way back on bear now with this result back up to number 34 in the live rankings. Beijing quarterfinals where a date with Daniil Medvedev awaits. Medvedev 6-3, and three, as I mentioned, over Demon Hour, and they were playing right as I had begun recording. Did Zverev? He did. 6-7, 6-2, 6-1. Comes back from behind to knock off Davidovich Fokina. Look, it was a fun uh, Saturday morning of matches. Yari, Umber, Medvedev, Zverev. I know I talked lighter about them, but that's because we got plenty of time to talk Beijing, and we'll lead with that show tomorrow. Uh, with that tomorrow, as you look at our round of 16 matchups in the top half of the draw, they're all popcorn. Alcaraz, Musetti, two of the most talented 21 and under players we have in the men's game right now. Echeverry versus Rude. I think there are a lot of parallels in their two game styles. That's the Spider-Man mean. Holgaruna, Grigor Dimitrov. You like shot making. You like fluidity, breathtaking footwork. That's the match for you. Nishioka Sinner. Uh, things going to get funky in that one. I'm excited for that matchup. Again, that's where things stand right now in Beijing. And not surprisingly, Carlos Alcaraz, 35.3% favorite to take home the title. Medvedev, 343 but he's around ahead. Sinner, 13.8. Zverev, 8.1. Gets back to my theory again. We know who the five best players in the world are right now. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, Zverev. There's a chance we'd get to see a few of them go head-to-head this week in Beijing, in Astana. I mean, just listen to this set of quarterfinals. Not too shabby, right? Greekspor versus Korda. Greekspor three sets over Shima Bakuru. Korda wins over Paparin in three. Nuno Borges in straight sets. He, again, just looking to get any sort of rhythm, any sort of match play in after what's been an up-and-down season due to injuries. Yes, he lost first round U.S. Open, but semifinals Winston-Salem, semifinals Zhuhai, quarterfinals Astana, those are three of his, those are his last four results outside of the U.S. Open. He's just regaining his rhythm, which again, given when he had his rhythm to start the season, when he had his health, he was one of the ten best players in the world, maybe one of the five. It's a good writing of the ship for quarter. He faces a serious test in Greek Spore, who's quietly had the best season of his career. Greek Spore, a fifty point seven percent favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That's your most pick a match of the day. Other than that, shout out to Yuri Rodionov, the qualifier from Austria, lefty who can grind a little bit. He likes this slow, high bouncing, hard surface. He out physicaled Sebi Baez two and four in what was a match that was far closer than that scoreline suggests. He'll take on Adrian Manorino in the quarterfinals, just another quarterfinal. Uh, for the Frenchman in what has been one of the better seasons of his career. I'm actually curious. Adrian Manorino, most wins he's ever had in a season at the ATP level, 33 in 2017. Yeah, he has surpassed that this year. A career year, 34 wins for the 35-year-old, most in his career. It's why he's sitting at 34 in the rankings right now. And again, highest-ranked French player in the world. Uh, yeah, is he still ahead of Ugo Umbert? Umbert's 34, Manorino 31 in the live rankings. Like I said, highest-ranked French uh, ranked Frenchman in the world right now. It's not Fee, it's not Van Asha, it's not Umbert, it's not Rinderkanesh. It's 35-year-old Adrian Manorino. Put some respect on the lefty's name. Lefty versus lefty. He'll take on Rodionov. Again, a very big week for Rodionov, who, with this result, now back up. Ooh! Number 99 in the live rankings. That would be a new career high for the 24-year-old from Austria. Wow, Rodionov's still 24? We might have to talk about him more tomorrow, particularly if he gets a win over Manorino. 
Great week for Dominic team. Straight sets over the birthday brother. Now a three-set win, 7-6 in the third over Marcos Guerrone. I mean, these slow, high-bouncing courts are just perfect for team. And we'll see how much he has left in the tank against his fellow Austrian, Sebastian Ofner, who knocked out just a poor effort from Sasha Bublik. Four and two, Bublik knocked out. Austrian versus Austrian, team 3-0 in the career head-to-head. We'll see what he can summon from his legs tomorrow. Top half of the draw, shout-out 20-year-old Hamad Medvedevic, 4-4 four four over Shevchenko. He's got size, he's got weapons. Quicker surface life gets a little tough for him because he's not the most fluid mover, but again, these are perfect conditions for him. Uh, he'll take on Lechechka, who escapes straight set win over Gerasimov. Again, quarter, Greek spore, your top half quarterfinal. It's still anyone's ball game, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Lechechka, 26.8%, but Manorino's 21.7%, Greek spore, 15.3%, Korda, 14.6%, Team, 13.8%. It's going to be a war. And again, that's the undercard event. We've got a Grand Slam champion and team. Top 50 players in Greek sport, top 40 players in Greek sport, Korda, Lechechka, Manorino, tw- talented 20-year-old in Medvedevic, a couple of veterans fighting, three Austrians, Ofner, Team Rodionov. Come on now. It's not even Kitzbühel. Let's have ourselves a week. Let's enjoy the action in Astana as it comes to its conclusion. Of course, if you're not keeping an eye on that, be sure to check out the action in Charleston. Our guy, former Florida All-American Oliver Crawford, he gets to his first challenger final. He's into the top 250 now. I think top 230 for the first time in his career wins over Lacoli, Destanich, and Ernesto Escobedo today to reach that final. He'll take on either fellow former Florida Gator in Abdullah Shelby, the uh, now, what I want to say, Shelby's a 20-year-old, 21-year-old. Abdullah Shelby is currently 19 years old. Excuse me. He's currently sitting at 225 in the points race. Uh, Shelby currently, let's see, uh, 29th in the next-gen race. So he's probably a little out of luck in terms of qualifying for that at this point. But 248 in the live rankings, right on the border of Australian Open qualifying contention. He's taken on the lefty former Memphis standout Ryan Penniston. That's a fun challenger final. And then check out Thomas Mychek versus Jack Draper. Draper back into a challenger final. He is slowly but steadily rebuilding his rankings back up to number 94 overall is the 21-year-old from Great Britain, the lefty, who of course we've already seen in a Masters 1000 quarterfinal. We've seen him do a lot of good things. He knocks out the young Frenchman, Luca Van Asche, in straight sets. My check a win over Gasquet in straight sets. Shout out to former Stanford All-American Arthur Ferry reaching the quarterfinals as a qualifier, pushing Richard Gasquet to three sets at this event. That's everything to watch for over the course of, again, an exciting championship weekend, September ending with a bang. We'll keep you updated how it all unfolds as we head into October and the rest of the home stretch of this 2023 season. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes all the content possible here at Cracked Rackets, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out without him. Again, we wouldn't be able to enjoy this home stretch of the season in the ways that we do. So thank you to him for his hard work. Thank you of course, as well. To our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support, remember it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for the fantastic Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.